0: Welcome Bible. My name is Josh, and I am one of the pastors here, and we're in a new series called The Pearl. And uh, how many of you, I, I ran into a handful of you this week, and you're like, Josh, I got my pearl. I got it. I'm praying. If you weren't here last week, you're like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, The Pearl? Well, uh, we're in a new series called The Pearl, and we're looking at the topic of Evangelism and specifically how Jesus went about evangelism. In fact, this whole thing is taken from his methodology and the way he went about reaching and caring for the lost and bringing the gospel to them. And in uh, in Matthew, Jesus tells a parable, and he talks tells this parable about a merchant who was in search of fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value and worth, what did he do? How much did he sell to get it? Everything. He sold everything he owned to go get, go attain this pearl. And then he was filled with great joy. Well, I told you last week, that's kind of changed my understanding and view and theology and heart toward evangelism. Because a lot of times I think of evangelism as something where, I don't know about you, I can only speak for me growing up, like it was something I had to persuade people of. Like I've got to go win this argument with somebody. But in reality, no, 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 no. It's helping them score the pearl of priceless value. It's helping them win. And so uh, that's how we're looking at evangelism. And in fact, we're even using that term PEARL as an acronym to outline Jesus' strategy. And so it started with pray, pray for your friends, pray for those in your family who are far from God, who don't know the gospel, who don't know Jesus Christ. And we handed out these pearls so you can be a reminder to you to pray for them. You put it in your pocket, carry it with you all week. At the end of the day, empty out your pockets, and uh, it'll be a reminder right away or every time you reach in your pocket, hey, I need to pray for them. I've got two people on my mind a lot that I've been praying for over the last couple weeks. Do you? Well, the last couple weeks, but for you, maybe this last week. And uh, continue praying for them. If you'd like a pearl, there's more out on the counter. If you've got more people, you lost yours, your kid swallowed yours, whatever it is, uh, grab another one. There's plenty out there, and they're kind of scattered around in different places. Um, well, after, after pray, then, is eat. Jesus would eat with them. We're going to be looking at that today. Jesus was a connoisseur of food. He was always eating with people. And then after that, asking about them, getting them to talk about themselves. People love to talk about themselves, show interest in them. Finally, reveal your story. And then throughout all of it, love them no matter what. Love them. You're sent. I'm sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Even if they never respond to the invitation, we're still sent to love. Amen? And uh, that's what Jesus calls us to do. So uh, today we're going to talk about eating, and I'll try not to make you too hungry before we get out, so we get out in time, you can still get, get, uh, get lunch today. But let me pray, and then we're going to dive into the text together, let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, and uh, for your grace to us through him. Lord, thanks that you take us when we're messed up, and when we've uh, screwed up, and you still come and bring us back into the fold as we sang. And, Lord, that your offer of salvation is for anyone, no matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them, no matter who they are, that your offer of salvation to them is great. And uh, so would you give us uh, a vision to to see it? Uh, What we've attained is this great pearl of of priceless value and and, uh, a heart and a willingness and a great desire to help other people attain it as well. Holy Spirit, uh, would you guide my thoughts and my words today? Teach me, even as I teach, that we would, live, we would leave changed uh, because of your word. Pray against the enemy who would love to uh, stifle our efforts and uh, discourage us or distract us. Uh, but instead, would you, uh, Holy Spirit, teach us and change us? We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Hey, how would you complete this sentence how would you complete this sentence? The son of man came, dot, dot, dot. How would you complete it? Have you, heard, have you heard that phrase before? The son of man came, seek and save the lost. There's one. That's right. That's right from the Bible. Maybe uh, you might even say other things like uh, preaching the word, eating and drinking. Uh, don't steal my thunder, Andrew. No, I'm just joking. But that's where we're going, Uh, to preach the word, to establish the kingdom of God, to die on the cross. Uh, How did Jesus come? Uh, The Bible, actually, there's three times that this phrase comes up, that the Son of Man came, dot, dot, dot. And one of those, we've heard already, is to seek and save the lost. The other is, he came not to serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. In the third, the son of man has come, eating and drinking. How many of you uh, would have filled that in the blank this morning? When you hear the Son of Man came, the Son of Man is a title given to, to Jesus by Daniel. And it's, it's, it's referred to as uh, someone who will come before God at the end of time to, to bring all things, uh, usher all things, and reconcile all things to himself. And, of course, it's a reference to Jesus Christ as God. And it's his favorite uh, title for himself from Scripture, the Son of Man. Uh, the first two statements, the Son of Man came... Um, Not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost are statements of purpose. It's, It's why he came, right? But that last one, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, is really a statement of method. It's how he came. It's how Jesus came, eating and drinking. In fact, Jesus was really into eating and drinking. Did you know that? So much so that, look if we complete that verse of Luke seven thirty four, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was seriously into eating and drinking, so much so that he was accused by all those around him of being, um, or the Pharisees, the religious people around him anyway, of being a glutton, somebody who eats too much, and a drunkard, somebody who drinks too much. That's the extent to which he came eating and drinking. You might even say Jesus was a party animal. He loved to spend time with people. He loved it. And uh, most of his evangelistic strategy, you know, I've got got literally thousands of books in my library, especially my digital one. And I could pull up all kinds of titles about uh, missional strategy and cultural hermeneutics and apologetics and all these different things. But do you know how Luke sums up Jesus' missional strategy? Eating and drinking. Grilled fish, bread, and a pitcher of wine. That's Luke's Luke's emphasis on Jesus' strategy of evangelism. Eating and drinking. Uh, He he spent so much time doing this. In fact, Luke uh, was always talking about it, as I said. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners in the home of Levi. Levi. Luke chapter 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Chapter 10, he's eating in the home of Mary and Martha. Chapter 11, he condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. 14, he's at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to meals rather than just their friends. Uh, uh, Chapter 19, he's uh, with Zacchaeus. Uh, Chapter 22 of Luke, the account of the Last Supper. And then even in Luke chapter 24, after he's risen... He eats with his disciples on a couple occasions. He came eating and drinking. That's Jesus' missional strategy. Robert Karras, he wrote a book called Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel. And he said this. He said in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. That's what he's doing. Here's the big idea. In in Jesus spending all this time eating and drinking with people, do you know what he was doing? He was spending time with the lost. That's what he was doing. In fact, the reality is, Jesus spent more time with lost people than he did with religious people. According to the text, he seems to have spent more time with lost people, quantity of time, than he did with religious people. How does that make you feel? If you're a religious leader, you're a, you spent more time with people outside of the church than people in the church. At least it sure seems that way. Often, his evangelistic efforts, he spent time with the lost. In fact, so much time with other people, he was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that wasn't meant as a compliment. It wasn't meant as a compliment. Um, we're going to come back to that here in a moment. But I want to show you the prominence of meals in the Bible. And again, I'm going to try not to make you hungry. But there's meals. And, and by the way, why do we do this? Because it's God's design. God designed us. He created us. He's the one who made food tasty and, and made it that you want to eat it. Think about that. He could have made just food as something that is uh, just for sustenance. You just, you, know, you just have enough and it's just you know, a pill you take and you're good to go. But he put pleasure into eating. Isn't that a good thing? Amen? Amen. That's a great thing. And you can glorify the Lord when you eat and when you drink. And it's a good, good thing. And and I I just think it's it's interesting, all the meals in the Bible. He, He invented meals to be a centerpiece of human relationships. God invented food. He invented making it delicious. He invented making meals communal. They were created to have a really important role in our lives. How about in the Old Testament, covenants? Every time a covenant is struck, do you know how they celebrated it after the covenant was cut and, and made? Guess what they had? A big feast. They ate. <laughs> hey, this is, this is good. This is good. How about weddings? What would happen after weddings? A big meal. In fact, guess what's going to happen at the end of time before we get, eternity gets ushered in. Jesus comes back to, to take his bride, the church, to be with him. There's a big what? Feast. And guess how heaven is described? One of the the few things that's described about heaven in Revelation, one of the things that seems to be emphasized is that there's this tree that you can eat from, and it's different fruit every month. Fruit of the month club in the middle of the city, everybody eating. There's not going to be a need to eat necessarily in heaven, right? But, But there seems to be food still in heaven. Praise the Lord. And it won't make you fat. Well, it might make you fat, but it won't make you unhealthy. That'll be good, right? How about after victories in the Old Testament? After a big victory, there would be a huge feast. When you had strangers into your home, you were, you were told to welcome them with a meal. The Passover. The the. The paramount event, which is the exodus of salvation in the Old Testament, the exodus, and then the Passover. It's, it's the primary uh, moment of salvation in the Old Testament, pointing forward to Jesus. And how did God decide to commemorate it? With a meal, with the Passover meal. That would be celebrated every year, even by Jesus himself. And now we celebrate it not as Passover, but as communion, remembering and looking back on what Jesus accomplished for us. After sacrifices, a lot of people, you may not realize this, but after they would sacrifice an animal, uh, then they would eat it. There were meals after sacrifices. And, of course, we already talked about heaven. They'll be eating in heaven. And in the life of Jesus, meals play an important role. Do you know his first miracle happens where? At a wedding feast. In John chapter 2, he changes the water into wine. And... uh, Jesus doesn't just change it into the the cheap wine that you buy at Aldi, but he puts it into the the really good wine into there, right? I mean, the guy drinks it. He's like, this is so good. Most people save the cheap wine for the end, but you would save the good stuff for the end. And then uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And he's feeding people, not just spiritually, but their stomachs. In his teaching, he would often teach over a meal while they're reclining at the table. Communion, of course, we're going to celebrate communion today. Uh, Pointing back, looking back to the Passover, but that's a meal where we remember Jesus' work on the cross. Uh, In reconciliation, John chapter 21, that's really looking at uh, his reconciliation with Peter was over a meal. Um, And then, you know what's really shocking, though? Is when you start looking at all the times Jesus is eating in the Bible, there are new, by far the one that happens the most over a meal is evangelism. Evangelism happens over a meal. Jesus eats with people. It starts making me me think about um, this wasn't just something in the Old Testament and New Testament, right? Wouldn't you agree that meals are important even today? I mean, not just for sustenance. If it was just for sustenance, it wouldn't. It would have. Maybe the Bible would have said, "You know, Jesus came eating and drinking." But it certainly, certainly would have wouldn't have called him a glutton and a drunkard if it was only for sustenance. He ate and enjoyed it to the excess. And I just wonder if you thought about your kitchen table. This is a picture of our kitchen table when Hannah and I. uh, we got married and we lived in a small house I had owned before that for a couple years. And then we had the opportunity to build a house and uh, I drew up this design. I wanted to have this table made and we had it built by a friend of ours after I kind of sketched it all out. So it's exactly what we wanted. And there's uh, two long benches. This is one of our kitchen table benches up on stage here this morning. And our heart for doing that is we wanted to have people over. Many of you in this room have sat around our table Many of you have sat on this bench, potentially. And, and we've had people over, and we hope to have more and more. This last year was a year where we didn't get to do that as much as we'd like to. Um, but our heart in doing that, we just thought, man, how, wouldn't it be great to have a centerpiece where this is where our family gathers together, this is where memories are made. There's already been times where we've cried over that table, where we've laughed over it. I built a shelf in it where we put games and play games when people come over. The bench is already getting scraped up and goobered up with Charlie's goobers as he eats. And I just, I wonder what stories are going to take place around that table. There's probably going to be some really good moments in the future around that table. There's probably going to be some really painful times around that table. But think about yours. I can think back growing up, I can think of three different tables that our family had. And I can remember different stories and some memories good, some memories bad. Sitting around the table with our family. um, Having friends over. Um, We have students over when I teach. We we do all kinds of stuff and we hope to do more and more. But the, the importance of a meal, there's something about sharing a meal together with somebody that there's just something almost sacramental about it, isn't there? About taking that time and sharing it with other people that God uses. I wonder if you have any stories of spending some time late into the evening having a meal with somebody. Or maybe around your table, you remember that time mom forgot to put the sugar and you salt instead on the cake. That's <laughs> right. I mean, we've got stories good, bad, ugly. But let's keep going here. Why meals? Why are they so important? Why did God design them to have such a centerpiece in our lives? And where does it fit into evangelism? Why is it that Jesus spent more time doing evangelism over a meal, like I said, with grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine than he did anything else? It wasn't altar calls. It wasn't uh, preaching on the street corner. It was uh, hanging out with them in their home. Well, I'll give you three reasons I think uh, eating with somebody is a great strategy for evangelism and seems to be for Jesus. Number one, meals show honor. They show honor. When you invite somebody to share a meal with you, you're honoring them. Have you ever been invited to share a meal with somebody and you just felt honored that they would even want you to come to their home, that they would even want to spend time with you? I can think of a handful of occasions um, with some people that you wouldn't know, and it doesn't matter, but uh, that, that have invited me. And I thought, man, who am I that they want to have dinner with me? And to invite me into their home and to spend time with me, you just, there's just something about it. You feel honored or you get, a, uh, you know, you get an invitation in the mail and that, to be our honored guest. Isn't it true that it shows honor? Um, Zacchaeus had this experience, didn't he? In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is coming through the neighborhood of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, who was a short little tax collector, longed to see him. Now, I'm not disparaging him. That's really what the text says. Here, I'll read it to you. Chapter 19 of Luke, starting in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He was just a little guy. He couldn't see over everybody. And so what's he do? He ran ahead. He knew the procession that was coming through town. Everybody wanted to see Jesus. He ran ahead, verse 4. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. You got it in your mind? Short little Zacchaeus, rich little short little Zacchaeus. Can't see, so he runs ahead. Really wealthy guy climbs a tree think of the wealthiest person you know do you picture him climbing a tree at the memorial day parade so they can see the floats going by probably not right but that's Zacchaeus he's incredibly wealthy and he climbs a tree to see Jesus and and look what happens when Jesus came to the place he looked up and he said to him hey Zacchaeus hurry down hurry come down for I must stay at your house today Jesus invited himself to supper at Zacchaeus' house. So he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, when the religious people saw it, they all grumbled. Oh, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And look what happens as a result of the time Jesus spends at Zacchaeus' house. Jesus said to him in verse 9, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. He says, since he also, Zacchaeus also is a son of Abraham. In other words, he's put his true faith in me. He's a Christian. Salvation has come to this house. I wonder, uh, wouldn't it be cool if uh, by our engaging in the pearl and praying for people and then eating with them, that one day we would be able to say, salvation has come to this house. Not because of us, but because of Jesus working through us, right? Engaging in the same strategy he did. Now, now to eat with somebody requires a lot of time, though, doesn't it? Um, it's not something that happens necessarily all that easy, especially if you invite them over to your house. Uh, but in requiring time, here's the second thing uh, that's good about a meal, is it deepens relationships. A meal helps relationships deepen, doesn't it? Uh, I had I had lunch with a handful of you this week, and breakfast, and I have more scheduled this week, and, and I love meeting with people over a meal because, uh, for whatever reason, it just takes the, oh, we got to meet and talk about something. You just you get to eat and enjoy one another, and it causes a relationship to deepen. It's a good thing, isn't it? Have you had that experience that sharing a meal with somebody causes a relationship to deepen? Um, have you ever thought about why, though? Have you ever heard people talk about quality time? You know, sometimes I hear parents say, Oh, I just I need to spend more quality time with my kids. You know, I, I, need, to just, I need to spend quality time with my spouse. Uh, I need to, to spend quality time with my friend. You, you know what I think? I think quality time, scheduling quality time is a big myth. I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can do it. Think about all the moments in the past, some of your relationships, good friendships and relationships, and think of times that you look back with fond memories on. How many of those, you know, funny stories, those uh, uh, intimate, vulnerable moments, how many of those were scheduled on your calendar? And you said from 5 to 5.15, we're going to have some quality time and we're going to make memories. Right? How many of you ever tried to do that? How I many of you have tried to schedule a vacation for quality time with your family and it's a disaster? When you try to, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But you know why? Because you can't schedule, you can't force someone else to open up. You, you can't force them to be vulnerable. You can't force uh, any of those things. Quality time, scheduling it anyway or creating it is a myth. You know what's true though? Quality time is actually a byproduct of quantity time. It's a natural byproduct of quantity time. The more time you spend in quantity with somebody, the more often you're going to have those moments of quality time. They're just going to happen. You're not going to have scheduled them, other than maybe scheduled just time you're going to spend together for whatever reason. But those moments that you're going to look back at and have that quality moment, that happens in, in mass because of quantity time. Mom and Dad, do you want to schedule quality time with your kid? Be around them. Be present. Go to their activities. Take them out to lunch. Be there in the morning when they wake up. Be there when they get home from school if you can. Be present in their life. Don't just schedule it from you know five to six every other uh, Friday or something like that. As much as you can, be present. That's going to create those moments of quality time is by having the quantity time with them. Some of my best memories of quality time with my dad. Um, and for those who maybe don't know, my dad passed away a couple years ago of, of brain cancer. But some of my favorite memories with him, I had a paper out from like third grade through like my junior year of high school. And uh, it, it got bigger each year and I actually was delivering papers for a couple different papers by the time I was in high school. But in middle school and even in early high school, we had uh, athletic practices at 7 o'clock in the morning, or 6 o'clock in the morning, excuse me, at the school from 6 to 7.30. And then you'd shower and then you'd start school at 8 because we only had one gym. And so it was just it was the time, that's all that was allowed to get in there. That's when we practiced. And so we would get up at four thirty, five o'clock. And a lot of times, especially in the winter, my dad would get up with me, and he would drive me around town. It was every day, seven days a week, would drive me around town, and I'd go out and deliver papers. Now, I think maybe his agenda with it was just to be able to read the paper for free. <laughs> I'm being honest. But, but that's, what, that's what would happen. And, and, you know, I look back on fondness, some of the discussions we had, just some memories we have, some things we laughed about during those times. But if he would have come to me and said, hey, Josh, I want to spend some quality time with you. Let's get up tomorrow at 4.30 and drive around town. I'd been like, no way, Dad. Uh-uh, that's not happening. But it was just that quantity time over time that those things came about, right? You can't schedule quality time. Now, here's how this relates to having a meal with someone. Having a meal with somebody requires you to spend some quantity time with them, doesn't it? It requires quantity time. It requires you to get to a restaurant if you go out and order your food and wait for it to come. It requires you, if you're going to have them over, you're going you're to sit around probably and talk for a while. You've got you've to block off an evening and spend some quantity time with them. That's the way it works. It forces it. In fact, let's let's look at an example of this from Jesus' life in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he was in Capernaum, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, he said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. Now, uh, Mark and Luke identify Matthew as Levi. Uh, Many scholars think Matthew was like the nickname that Jesus gave to, to Levi. And uh, he was a tax collector, and it says that he was sitting at the tax booth. When you think about that, do you think of Peanuts and Lucy, like with a five-cent sign? That's what, that's what I picture when I read that. But really what would have happened is, is Matthew was probably collecting taxes on, uh, like, uh, like, on commons duties and stuff like that. When, when new, new goods would travel through the area. And he would collect uh, taxes on those things for the Roman government. So there might be an office or a booth sitting alongside the main road. Or it could have been along the lake as either goods come across the lake or as the fishermen come in with their catch of fish off the lake. Uh, Which is really curious when you think if that was the case, then that Jesus also called some of those fishermen to be a disciple with Matthew. They're probably good friends, huh? Um, but, But Matthew rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at table in the house, or excuse me, he rose and followed him. And then Jesus reclined at table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, uh, Luke tells us that uh, Matthew actually invited him over to his home. And Matthew himself prepared a big feast for Jesus. He has a big feast for Jesus. And he invites not only Jesus, but all of his tax collecting buddies All the riffraff, that's who he invites. And that's who Jesus goes and he reclines at the table with them. Now tables in that day, you know, it would have been short. And so to recline meant, uh, you know, it might have been a round table or a big square table, but there would have been kind of pillows around it. And you'd lean in, you'd lay down on your side, you'd lean in on an elbow, and you'd reach up on the table and eat and you'd recline at the table. Now, when the Pharisees saw this, They said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, tax collectors were despised by the Jewish people. Do you know that? One, uh, because they served the Roman government, who they viewed as oppressors. And two, because they would often, the way that the tax collectors were paid is the Roman government said, hey, we need this much money in taxes, take however much you want and keep the rest for yourself. So tax collectors would often take excess in tax and be very wealthy and just defraud people. But people were required to give it to them because that was their right under Roman law. As long as the Roman government got their money, they didn't care how much the tax collectors took. And uh, so they just despise Matthew, and they despise tax collectors. Now, before, before you get like, oh, man, those Pharisees, they were so stuck up and such jerks, think for a moment with me, okay? Um, maybe the equivalent of a tax collector in our day might be a politician. Now, think for a moment in your mind, don't need to say them out loud, who is uh, the most despised politician in your mind? I'm not going to name anyone because we've got people from both sides of the political spectrum in our church. We don't need a fight to break out. <laughs> who, who, who is it? You got them in your mind? Okay, now picture all of their politician buddies that you also despise. You got them in your mind? Now, imagine that a picture, if, imagine I threw a picture up on the screen right now of me going to dinner with them maybe even a video, uh, having a glass of wine and a steak with them and laughing and yucking it up, and uh, what would you suddenly think of me? (laughs) You would have some angst towards me, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? That's the angst the Pharisees felt towards Jesus in that moment. What is he doing with them? Why is he eating and drinking with them? Does he know who they are? Doesn't he know? Well, why, they go to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Listen, um, the Pharisees knew God's word. They knew that God's word told of a day in the future when the Messiah would come and there would be a big feast and a big party. And the Pharisees' problem was not with the feast, and it was not with the menu, and it was not with the fact that there was a party going on that Jesus went to. Their problem was with the guest list. That was the Pharisees' problem in this moment. Jesus is at Matthew's home with all the tax collectors and all kinds of sinners, eating and drinking and spending quantity time with them. Now... Would they have been upset if he just went into their house and talked to them for a little bit and left? Maybe. But certainly not to the extent that they would have been like, why is he eating and drinking with them? Jesus spent some quantity time with them, didn't he? Quantity time. And eventually Jesus hears about them. And um, when he heard it, he said, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The Pharisees expected Jesus to be like a doctor who never comes into contact with sick people. How's that work? Jesus is like, the healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. Go and learn what this means, he tells them. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus spends quantity time with them, eating, drinking, spending time with them, to develop a friendship with them, to love them to where eventually many of them would come to saving faith in him. And like Zacchaeus, maybe Zacchaeus was at this meal. And uh, so I kind of tend to think that he probably was. And so when Jesus shows up at Zacchaeus' house, then Zacchaeus wants to see him. He knows who he is. And uh, salvation has come to this house today. Wouldn't that be great if by you spending that quantity time with somebody who's far from the Lord, that over time God might by His grace, use that to bring them into relationship with Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be good news? And guess what? You have friends that I don't know. I have friends you don't know. And the only, you may even be the only person who knows Jesus who's a friend to them. Are you going to invite them into your life? Are you you going to love them? You're going to spend a meal or meals, plural, with them and introduce them eventually to Jesus. But it starts with developing that deep friendship. Here's the third thing. So meals honor, meals deepen relationships, which gives you the permission to be able to share the gospel. And then verse number three, excuse me, meals reveal who you really are. When you invite somebody over to your home for a meal, they're going to see who you really are. They're going to know what you like to eat including the weird stuff, maybe. Um, They're going to see potentially the messy bedroom, the messy bathroom. They might witness some unfiltered conversations. And if you have people over, you're going to witness some unfiltered conversations, right? I wonder about that with Jesus. Like how many uh, bad jokes did he hear? How many, how much foul language did he endure as he just spent time with people who were far from God? They're going to see the weird way you touch your spoon to your chin before you take a bite. Sorry if you do that. I didn't mean to make fun of you. Uh, But they're going to see who you really are. They they require you and even force you to be yourself. If you work at befriending people and loving them and you start inviting them, uh, they're going to see who you really are. And that's going to give credibility, hopefully, to the gospel. And... In contrast, you're going to see who they really are, and you're going to understand more and more their need for the gospel. Uh, Mary and Martha is a good example of this. As they went on their way, Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Just as kind of a brief aside here, when it says Mary sat at the Lord's feet, uh, it means that she sat as a disciple at His feet. Now that was unheard of in that day and age, and this is a real testimony to Jesus and the way that He worked honor and respect and loved women, and gave them respect that they had never had before in society. Um, for for her to, to for Him to to let her sit at His feet and. And be taught by him as one of his disciples was unheard of, especially alongside other men who would have likely been there. But anyway, uh, Mary sits down to, to be taught at his feet. And, but Martha, look at Martha. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to come help me. Don't you care? See, Jesus goes over to their house. He's having a meal with them. Mary sits down just to listen and spend time with them and have conversation. And Martha is just, like, so busy, freaking out, tearing the kitchen apart, you know, trying to get everything out of the oven in time and get everything served and on the table and um, to the point where she lashes out at her sister. See, if you you invite somebody into your home, they're going to start to see who you really are, aren't they? That happens with Mary and Martha. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Uh, Friends, as we talk about the pearl and spending, uh, uh, doing evangelism and bringing the good news of the gospel to people who desperately need it and helping them uh, receive a prize. First thing is to pray for them. Start with prayer. Are you praying? You praying about maybe who you would invite in a couple weeks on Easter? I told you that I promise if you bring them that day, I'm gonna uh, gonna reveal the gospel in a very clear and plain way, and I'm gonna tee it up for you to be able to reveal your story to them when we're all done. Be praying though about who you might invite, uh, but then spend some time with them, preferably over a meal. But there's other ways to do it. You don't have to spend. A meal with them, but spend some time with them. Uh, think about your your calendar over the next month. W- where's some time you can carve out to intentionally spend with that person you're praying for? How are you going to go about that? So last week at the end of the, the end of the day, you know this pearl was a reminder to pray. Now it's also a reminder to schedule some time with that person or invite them over to your home. And next week we're going to talk about asking questions. And Jesus was a master at asking questions, and we'll give you some tools next week that can help you with that. So as we close, I'm gonna pray, but let me just say this. If you're a guest here this morning or you're hearing about this and you're like, you know what? The whole pearl thing, I don't have a pearl to give away. I've never attained it for myself. I've never become a Christian. It's really simple. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, and yet he died the death that you and I deserve on the cross. And he said that whoever would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, Paul writes in Romans 10, they will be saved. It's that simple to turn in faith to Jesus Christ and you receive him and you attain that pearl of great price by faith in him. It's that simple. And if you'd like to talk about that, I'd be glad to talk about it with you. Maybe we'll go grab lunch. Sound good? Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. And Jesus, thanks for your example of how you went about uh, reaching people in the Bible. And, and it's a strategy that we can employ, that we can do. We can, we can certainly pray for people who are far from you. And we can, uh, we can certainly spend time eating with them. We eat anyway. And to, to have a good meal and to have people over can be a really enjoyable thing. So give us, uh, give us courage to invite people into our lives, into our homes, to, to love them and invite them. And Jesus, might you do the work after we spend that quantity time with them, that it might result in quality time where one day salvation would come to them and to their home like it did Zacchaeus. Lord, give us that passion. I pray that that uh, as we ramp up towards Easter, Easter might even be one of those days where uh, we just see the beginning of, of a big harvest of souls, of people who come to know you because As a church, we're doing this well. Lord, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.